0: Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked, about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about Theraworks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. Hey listeners, be sure to check out our newest podcast called the Natural Products Resource Center. It will be coming out in September of 2019. And we can't wait for you to check it out. All Things Natural Products uh, will be focused on medical cannabis at first, and then we'll be branching to other natural products topics. But be sure to follow us over there. We've got a new podcast coming out, and we're excited to share it with you. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is Senator Shane Reeves. Senator Reeves has been a successful pharmacy business owner and was elected to serve in the state of Tennessee Senate in 2018. After receiving his doctor of pharmacy from the University of Tennessee, Shane bought into his family pharmaceutical business named Reeves Saint. Shane and his partner, Rick Sane, built this small healthcare business into a highly successful pharmacy enterprise, reaching across the state of Tennessee with specialties in retail pharmacy, compounding, respiratory infusion, home medical equipment, immunizations, diabetic care, long term care pharmacy and Medipac. Uh, they were able to sell their retail and specialty pharmacy interest in 2015. And in 2016, Senator Reeves launched a new pharmacy focused on servicing patients with chronic, complex, and rare diseases in post-acute care settings called 12 Stone Health Partners. Senator Reeves, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast.
1: Wow, what a great introduction, Hillary. I, I appreciate Appreciate all of that. I guess sometimes when I when I actually hear all that read out, I, I realize my goodness, there's, there's been a lot happening in my 51 years of life. I'm, I'm very blessed. But, but thanks for letting me be on your show.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for being here. And yes, so many things that you've been able to accomplish in that time. Such a great right. story to tell. And um, now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, if there's any other um, you know gaps from that intro or maybe something else you want to share about your personal life, we'd love for, to hear that as well.
1: Sure. So my family... My family is from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is Rutherford County, and we have been here seven generations with my children. It's been eight generations. The Reeves has actually moved to Murfreesboro, Tennessee in 1780. Oh, wow. 240 years in this community, uh, which is good and bad, Hillary, to be honest. If you live in the same community for, for long, long periods of time, I mean, it's great as far as deep roots. It's good for business and family and church and connections. But at the same time, it really impacts your worldview and how you look at things. So my family has been here for a long time. We've also been practicing pharmacy in Murfreesboro for 120 years. So, a pharmacist, but my great great uncle opened a independent pharmacy on our square in 1900. He got his son into it in the 1930s, who got my dad into it in the 1960s, who got me into it in the 1990s. So we have been practicing pharmacy for well, for 12 decades uh, here in this community as well. So, deep, deep roots uh, in Middle Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you mentioned or not, I'm married. I've got three kids uh, that are 20, 17, and 12. And, you know, I, I've been a pharmacist, well, since 1994. I went to the University of Tennessee. Uh, so, for 25 years, I've been a senator for about a year. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, a whole lot more about being a pharmacist and what's involved with the ups and downs of the profession than I do about being a senator. That's that's still very new for me, and I'm really enjoying that that new hat in my life. Uh, but that's I think you you know I think you kind of nailed it. I, I spent 25 years in pharmacy. I uh, uh, I don't know how much you want to get into specifically our business, and maybe that's one of your topics. But I think my former business partner and I, Rick Sain, we did just about everything you can imagine in pharmacy.
0: Sounds like it.
1: I mean, we we really did. Um, And we can talk about that if you'd like.
0: Yeah. You know, why don't we start there and then we'll talk a little bit more about your your new role. Um, So, So that was very interesting to hear all the deep history and that pharmacy's been in your family for generations. So um, tell us a little bit about, you know, you took it from a a small independent pharmacy to developing a lot of different service lines. Um, You know, maybe it sounds like they were all successful. There there may have been a few that you tried and maybe didn't didn't land. But how did you kind of have that drive to... See into the future and kind of um, develop some of these new service lines to really help serve the patient populations.
1: So that's a great question. <clears throat> so, like I said, I graduated pharmacy school in 1994, and I had been out of school <clears throat> for about a month. Honestly, it was May June 1994, and my father came to me and said, "Son, would you like about my buy out my half of the pharmacy business?" and the other partner at the time, a guy by the name of Ron Powell, approached my other business partner, Rick Sane, and said, would you like to buy out my half of the business? Rick and I both said yes, and so we became partners by default, the truth is. Many people know that. We knew each other, and we were friends, but we were both very young pharmacists, and we became partners by default in 1994. At that period of time, the pharmacy was a true, just small, independent, retail business in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It had the old fashioned soda shop and the gift shop and the post office. It just things you might see in a typical little family community pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Rick and I knew, and I was 26 and he was probably 28, 29 then, we knew if we were going to make it in pharmacy, because you could already kind of see some of the changes on the horizon as far as the trends in the marketplace with the chains and the mail order and the PBMs. If we were going to make it in the marketplace, we were going to have to do a few things. Number one, we were going to have to get into a number of different niches, which we did and I can talk about. Uh, we, we were going to have to fill lots and lots and lots of prescriptions because the margins were shrinking and the competition was fierce and the, our community was growing. So we were going to have to fill lots of prescriptions. And the third thing we were going to have to do is we we're going to have to get some business experience. I mean, we both were pharmacists. We were both good clinicians, but we just did not have business background. Mm-hmm. And about 19, four, 1994, 1995, we went to work on those three things as hard as we could for about five years. And we built our retail pharmacy business, started filling lots of prescriptions. And it was about then that we decided to start branching off into some other areas. And that's when we got into long term care pharmacy. We had a couple of nursing homes call us and said, Would you be interested in packaging meds for us? And Hillary, I'm telling you, for anybody who's out there who's listing, who may be a young pharmacist that, uh, uh, you know, is taking a look at some new opportunities in the marketplace. If you wait till you have it all figured out, the, the market will have already left you.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> so many things that Rick and I did along the years, sometimes you just have to step out there. If you're 70% sure it's the right thing to do and it makes the, makes the most sense, kind of go after it. So that first nursing home is a perfect example. We didn't know anything about the nursing home business at the time. We didn't understand that the medications had to be packaged differently, and we had to have consulting pharmacists and med carts and fax machines. I mean, that was a whole new world for us, but we jumped into it in 1994, 95, started servicing one nursing home and have continued to grow that. We probably serve 60 today. I still serve 60 today from that original seed so many years ago. Uh, Very, very similar to that in 1995, 96, all the way up 2000. Jumped into home infusion, got into enterals, medical equipment. Back in the late 90s, you could still make a real good living doing medical equipment. Hospital beds, walkers, wheelchairs, crutches. I mean, there was still really good margins. Uh, matter of fact, it was one of the most profitable things we did in the late 90s and early 2000s. And then Medicare changed some of their reimbursement rates, and it really kind of crushed that industry. Mm-hmm. We, we also got into traditional compounding in our retail stores. You know, BHRT, uh, topical gels, products for dentists and for dermatologists and for pediatricians. And all. we built a, a fairly large traditional compounding business. Bottom line is this we tried a lot of different things. And I can, I can say very confidently at this point in time, you know, part of our success was because we were willing to try a lot of different things. Part of our success was because Murfreesboro in Middle Tennessee was booming, it was absolutely booming. Um, we also had a tremendous team and we had good products. But, you know, we failed along the way too. You know, absolutely. We had product lines that we started that didn't make sense. We made some money, some quarters. We lost some money, some quarters. We hired some wonderful people. We hired some duds. We made some good decisions. We made some lousy decisions. Uh, but that's part of it. If you're not willing to fail often and fail fast and, and move on, you're, you're simply probably not pushing yourself enough in pharmacies. So, over a number of years, Rick and I did that, and we ultimately built the business up. By the time we got to 2010, uh, we were doing. Uh, we probably had almost 200 employees. Probably, oh, wow! Probably, probably around 2012, 2013. It was, it was, it was pushing way up there 170, 180 employees. We got into the specialty pharmacy business in 2015, right when the hepatitis C market was starting to, to uh, come online and we sold off our specialty pharma business and our little family independent pharmacy in 2015 to Fred's Rick went to work with Fred's and I've started this new company in recent years um, which I can talk about that as well uh, if you want me to today but I guess I guess big picture is um, you know <laughs> we're, we're an overnight success that took 25 years
0: Wow. <laughs> I
1: mean, it, 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 it took a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of risk uh, over the years, and we clearly had our ups and downs, but we we were very blessed, and I'm still very blessed in what we're doing nowadays. I've got such a, such a great team around me, and I formed a company now called 12 Stone, 12 Stone Health Partners,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I can talk about that all day long.
0: Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 Drug Disposal of Controlled Substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have Rx Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Rx Destroyer Ready to Use Chemical Drug Disposal Systems are safe, easy, and affordable products which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance check out www.rxdestroyercom slash talk to your pharmacist yeah that well so so that's so fascinating just the the history and, and all of the different things that you were able to get into and, and some of the the lessons learned that you were able to share um so not only were you you know you sold off one part of your your business but you're starting a brand new company and that, of course, takes a lot of time. How and when did you decide that you wanted to run for office? Was that something that was part of the family history as well? Or are you the, the first uh, political uh, kind of person in your family?
1: Sure. It's a great, great question as well. So for as long as I can remember, my, my five core values, and you might have even mentioned, mentioned this in my introduction, my, my five core values have really been built around my faith and my family, and then just career, professional development. Uh, uh, I, re- I really have a real passion for pharmacy. Service, just service in general has always been a real value of mine, and just health, taking care of my own personal self-care, health. That's really been my five core values. So I've, I've always enjoyed service, even when I was a real young man giving back, even my church or my community. So when I got out of school, pharmacy school in 1994, uh, my father uh, was in the, on the city council here in Murfreesboro. So I saw what it kind of meant to be in public service through him over a number of years. Mm-hmm. And he did that. And my dad ultimately was mayor of Murfreesboro for about four years. Oh, wow! He sure was. Not a lot of people know that uh, in the early 2000s, uh, he was mayor of Murfreesboro for just, just a few years. I, 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 I hate to give the exact dates, but I want to think it was 98, 99, 2000, so, somewhere through there. He was mayor for four years. So I did get exposed to public service through all of those things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Early on, you know, I, I think I scratched that itch that I had as far as service. Uh, serving on every possible board you can imagine. Sure. <laughs> I, mean, <even laughs> I did. It. I did American Heart, American Cancer uh, diabetes. We have a group called Special Kids. I did Boys and Girls Club. MTSU's got the Blue Raider Athletic Association. I'm a deacon in my church. I mean, over the last 20 years, I have served on so many different um, different things that it really, really kind of scratched that itch. When I was in my early 40s, I'm 51, by the way, now. So that was 10 or 11 years ago. In my early 40s, um, I had some opportunities to jump into office and it just was not the right time in my life. Mm-hmm. I, my children were very young. My business was was maturing. And I just looked at it and said, you know, I just think the the risk is too great. I didn't want to. Um, one of my mottos in life now and my motto in life then. And again, I'm speaking to the young pharmacist out there now. On this quote is, you know, my biggest fear in life. At least at the age of fifty-one is no longer being successful, um, but it's being successful in areas that ultimately don't matter as much.
0: Hmm. And what
1: mm-hmm. I, what I mean by that is this: I, I didn't want to run for office and be highly successful in the public in the public arena, but not but lose my marriage or my children. Right. And I didn't know if I made a whole bunch of money, if I lost my health. And who cares if I build a big, giant pharmacy empire if I lose my relationship with God? Those things are important to me. I think there's balance in all those areas. But at that period of time in my life, my early 40s, I just felt like the the risks were too great. It was going to impact so many areas I cared about my marriage, my children, my business, uh, my health. That I just said no. You know, I just said I wasn't going to do it. So I truly, truly felt like that it was never going to happen, that I was never really going to have an opportunity And in 2017, Jim Tracy, a former senator uh, in Middle Tennessee that for, uh, for, uh, I think, Jim, serving 13 years, came to see me in the fall of 2017. I had formed this new company called 12 Stone in 2016. It had been growing for a couple of years. And Jim came and see me and said, Shane, I'm taking a job with the Department of Agriculture. And my Senate seat is going to be opening up, and I'd like for you to consider running. I said, "Tracy, you're out of your mind. (laughs) You're absolutely out of your mind. I've got three children at home. I I can't. I can't even dream of doing something like that." Um, I I said, "I've got this business that's starting to boom. I've got a great team." And he said, "Well, Shane, uh, why don't you think about it, pray about it for a few days, and let me know." And I said, "Well, how much time do I got?" And he said, "You have three days."
0: Oh, wow. (laughs)
1: It did. And that was late October, 2017. So I went home, talked to my wife about it. And I said, well, this is an opportunity to run for a state Senate position. It's a special election. So it was on, I was only going to fulfill the rest of Jim's term, which actually ends next year in 2020. And I talked to my business partners about it here. And I said, listen, I mean, this is an opportunity for me to go to Nashville for a few months out of the year and really make a difference for small business issues." Uh, and for for issues revolving involving pharmacy and healthcare, uh, things that impact providers and patients and payers, and I said I think it's a chance for me to have a voice and give back. So I said, "How hard can it be?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so in November two thousand seventeen, I jumped into a campaign, which I'll tell you what, and you've you've been around it too with uh, with your uh, it's your mother in law, right? Yes. With- uh, you campaigning is such hard work it
0: is cool. it is
1: such hard work my goodness gracious and so it's it's awkward work it's you have to push yourself you have to be smiling to be on when you don't feel like being on it hard work so uh, I worked hard I had a a primary a special election primary in January of eighteen I had a general in March of eighteen and by the time I got elected and got to Nashville you know we're finished in Nashville usually in April. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got down there and I found the bathrooms and the break rooms and the committee rooms and met a few other senators and lobbyists, I was done. Right. I was done. Of 18. So then I came back home for eight months from May of 18 through the end of the year. And I said, OK, if I'm going to be a senator for the next couple of years, I've got to really focus on what I want to do, uh, which is where I you know, which is why I've worked so much on healthcare, and I think you probably want to talk about that today as well. Which is what, really what my focus has been.
0: Yeah, I, definitely all
1: my energy into healthcare. Yeah. But the big scheme of the big scheme of thing is why did I run in the first place? I ran in the first place because public service is kind of part of my heart anyway. Right. I felt to do it at the time. The timing was right for my family and my business. And you know, I just want to give back. You know, I don't see myself doing this for the rest of my life, but it's for for a, for a window of time. I'd like to make a difference and leave things a little better. And I found it.
0: Exactly. Wow. Such an interesting story. And, you know, you do often hear that that it's it's always about timing. And uh, sometimes you uh, have those windows of opportunity and you may not see the, the opportunity, but somebody has seized you in it. And so that's great that you had a chance to to pray and talk about it with your family and, uh, that you're up here in Nashville and are working on some key issues. So what are some of the key issues that you're working on for Tennessee healthcare?
1: Sure. So the, the approach I have decided to use, cause I'm, you know, I think I mentioned to you before we got on the call today, how important that I have found business, how much I needed to get business skills as a pharmacist, because you just don't get much business training in pharmacy school. Right. So, uh, you know, I've, I've really, along the years, I've, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good pharmacist. I've been a pretty good pharmacist. I've got a lot of pharmacists working for me that are probably better pharmacists. But I really had to learn to be a really good businessman along the way, too. So those skills that I learned in business, I ultimately really decided to apply uh, to becoming a state senator. So in April and May of last year, I, uh, I took a step back. And I said, you know, if I'm going to go be a senator and I'm going to do a good job, then I really want to make sure that I'm focusing on the areas of the state that have the greatest needs. Mm -hmm. So I hired a consultant and an analyst, and we spent months and months and months evaluating how is Tennessee doing Hmm. compared to all the other states in a whole variety of different areas. We looked at business. We looked at finances. We looked at education families, healthcare, a number of different areas. And if you go on my website today, actually Reeves for Senate, um, you actually will see on my website, uh, it's called the Reeves Report is what we came up with. And we basically identified about 50 areas in the state and how we're doing compared to the other 50 states. And in essence, what the report said, Hillary, was this. And people can, you can look at that report. It's, it's really pretty cool. It basically said for as healthy as Tennessee is <clears throat> financially, right, and we really are healthy financially, we're blessed mm-hmm. low taxes, low debt, great, great pension fund, good cost of living, boom mm-hmm. economic development workforce. I mean, good things are happening financially. For as healthy as we are financially, we are equally that unhealthy physically. Mm. Healthcare is just in the ditch. And hmm. I, guess I didn't I just didn't know that until I became a senator and started diving into it a little bit. But out of out of 50 states, we're cur- currently 43 out of 50 states in life expectancy. And the new trends are showing we're probably going to drop to 44 or possibly 45 in the next two or three years if we don't change that. I mean, they're even talking about Arkansas passing us. You will live longer in Arkansas than you will in Tennessee because mm-hmm. of the trends that were on so they really bothered me right. and that really really bothered me as a senator coming in I'm like well you know that that's just unacceptable you know we're doing so well in Tennessee in so many ways we could do better than 43 out of 50 states i mean we just can't so i really looked at that what's causing it is it environmental issues is it socioeconomic issues there's there was a number number of different things that were going on but if you get on my website and you look at that report and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, so I I, I I can't quote it to you here, but your listeners will see that we're in the 40s, 45 and above in most in almost every major area. Heart disease, COPD, stroke, cancer, uh, obesity, opiate misuse, we're, we're, we're in the bottom tier of every major disease state. We're 47 out of 50 states in smoking, so... We just got so many health issues that are just causing us to have these problems, which in turn is costing costing us so much more money per citizens for health care. Uh, we're, we're spending more time in the emergency rooms and more time in the doctor's offices. So you asked me what I'd been working on. <laughs> of, the, of the 33 bills that I introduced, 17 of those were uh, in some way or another involving health care. Okay. Okay. Um, I can I can I can mention a couple of them to me, or I can focus on one or two specifically your your leaders readers might be interested in. What what would you prefer me to do?
0: Um, yeah, maybe maybe the the one or two that you were most excited about uh, this past year.
1: Sure. Um, I will tell you what I'll do three real fast. Okay. One one I introduced was to increase the smoking age in the state of Tennessee in vaping age from eighteen to twenty one. Mm-hmm. It's being shown all over the country right now. States that are doing that are seeing significant improvements in life expectancy. I mean, almost across the board, states that are increasing the smoking age to 21 is making a world of difference. And I worked with a lot of organizations to introduce that bill. It never actually came to a vote for a number of reasons that I could spend time on. We're still working on reintroducing that this next session. But if if we just did that one thing alone in Tennessee over the next 10 years and we had less young people vaping and less 18, 19, 20-year-olds smoking and had less just Tennesseans across the board smoking tobacco, we would not have nearly the problems with heart disease, COPD, and cancer and stroke that we've got. So that's one thing I worked on. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, the, the state of Tennessee passed an opiate bill in 2018 called Tennessee Together. And I had the chance, working with the Medical Association, the Tennessee Pharmacists Association, to tweak that bill this last session because the way the bill was originally written, there actually were patients in the state that had legitimate needs for narcotics that were not able to get it because of the way the bill was written. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some of your pharmacists out there that are listening know this, but one of the things the bill original bill did was it actually gave the, the doctor the ability to write an opiate prescription, you know, let's just call it, you know, uh, Lortab, Mm -hmm. and the patient could go to the pharmacy and get a uh, a five-day supply. And the way the bill was written, they could then go back in and get an additional five-day supply. We actually could do a refill on a C2, which you can't do in the state of Tennessee. The problem is in Tennessee, a vast majority of the pharmacy computer systems that were on all of our pharmacists and our chains and our retail community pharmacies could not accommodate refills for C2. Mm-hmm. The that matters is you'd have people that would go and have knee surgery or back surgery or hip surgery. They'd go get their prescription filled for five days. They would go back five days later and that pharmacist would say, I'm sorry, but I can't refill a C2. That was a, that was a big problem. So you had people who had legitimate pain that were not able to get their refills for meds. So I'm just giving you an example. We tweaked the existing opiate bill to deal with a couple of things there were unintended consequences from the original bill so that the people who legitimately needed the pain medication could get it. But we still have, make sure people hear this, we still have some of the most restrictive opiate, uh, opiate bills in the country. The vast majority of prescriptions that are being written in, in Tennessee today for opiates are still just three days. Mm-hmm. So still are very restrictive. Okay. The third bill, and I'm assuming you've got a lot of pharmacists that listen to this.
0: Oh, uh, yes. I, Lots of pharmacists. Okay.
1: And so we passed, pharmacists out there, and I, I hope, hope everybody um, can look at this. We passed some of the most aggressive PBM uh, legislation in the country mm-hmm. this last session. Very, very excited about it. And if you're listening to me today and you don't know about this, my goodness, and you, and you happen to have a long-term care or a home infusion or a retail pharmacy, Call the TPA. Get on the TPA website and read about this. This new bill does some wonderful things for pharmacies. For instance, those are those the pharmacists out in the marketplace know that sometimes PBMs will audit you, and they'll audit you, and they'll actually claw back some of the medications, some of the money they've already paid you for meds you've dispensed in the past. One of the things this new bill does is they're no longer allowed to come in. They can still audit you, but they cannot come in and take anything back from you simply because of clerical errors. And so many times the re, the things that are going on, there may be a day supply issue or something very simple. That was a cleric error. It wasn't fraud or anything negligent that the pharmacist really did. And the PBMs were taking back thousands and thousands of dollars in these audits. We stopped all that. We also put, put uh, language in place that says if uh, the PBMs are going to make any changes to your contracts whatsoever, they have to give you a 30-day notice, let you talk about it. Also in the bill is a, is a component that um, uh, if, they, if, if, if they're paying you less than your cost, if you actually get a, a reimbursed, a claim, adjudicated claim back that is lower than your cost, you don't have to accept that. the PBMs have to work with you to try and find a way to make you whole or to try to help you find another wholesaler where you can actually get those meds. So that's just three parts of this PBM bill, Hillary, and there's even more, all of which, in my opinion, it's good for pharmacy, it's good for patients, it's good for for prescribers, and uh, it really kind of leveled the playing field a little bit for PBMs uh, this last session. So, you know, as you know, what we talked about early on, I have a heart for this profession. I've been doing it my entire life. And if I don't get anything else done while I have been down there, um, I'm glad to have made some difference, I think, for, for my colleagues across the state that are you know, trying to make a living in this PBM world.
0: Absolutely, yes, and congratulations that you've already accomplished so much in just the short amount of time that that you've been there. But I love your approach and and you know doing that needs assessment to really understand uh, the issues affecting Tennesseans across the state, and that you've brought your deep experience within the healthcare industry to um, to. Bring up some of these really important bills and policies to um, help impact uh, the future of healthcare. And so, speaking of the future of healthcare, what are you kind of predicting for the future of pharmacy for the, for our listeners?
1: For the future of pharmacy. Well, I mean, the, the profession is clearly changing nowadays. At least the pharma world is changing nowadays with with the whole new specialty world. I mean, the, the meds that are that are in the marketplace, and we're we're gonna we're gonna continue to have have needs for chronic conditions for blood pressure and cholesterol and asthma and diabetes. But I mean, pharma is going to continue to to move toward uh, a specialty world where they are really trying to provide cures for patients with chronic complex and rare diseases. So I think, and, and I know you've got a lot of different listeners out there, um, and so I'm, I guess I'm primarily speaking to the community pharmacy world because that's my background more than hospital. I really see it breaking in two different directions, Hillary. Um, if I was a young person coming out of school today, I would tell them, uh, if you want to open up a community pharmacy, um, I see things going in one of two directions. Number one uh, is going to be a very commoditized world, where you're going to see lots and lots of volume filled for the best price. That's going to be your Walmarts and your mail orders and your your CVSs and your Walgreens. It's still going to be very much about commodity and price and lots of volume. But I see another whole area of pharmacy, honestly, Hillary, that I'm excited about. And your young pharmacists out there that are listening to me today, I think the future is very, very, very bright if you're willing to kind of lean into uh, the different niches and really focusing on providing a real high level of service for patients, specifically focused on, a, on disease states. I mean, I could sit down with with any new pharmacist today, and we we can make a make a long list of disease states. I really think you could focus on building your pharmacy around. Um, I'll give you an idea. I was meeting with a young student um, here in my office actually in the last month, and we were talking about just these ideas. And in the process of having this conversation with her, uh, she didn't seem to be terribly interested in what we were, what I was talking about at the time. And she says, "You know, Doctor Reeves, I just don't see how I can make a living doing this." And then she got to talking about her brother who has autism, and she was real passionate about that. And I told the young lady, I said, "Listen," I said, "Do you have any idea? I mean, what the future of of medications and pharmacy looks like just for autism?" I said, "Imagine if you went back to your hometown." and you created a pharmacy called the four A's pharmacy. We just did this on the fly. And I said, and you were gonna focus on autism, ADHD, allergy, and asthma. And that's all you're gonna do is just those four areas. Mm -hmm. You're gonna provide all things pharma, all things compounding. You're gonna bring nutrition to it. You're gonna bring education to the table. And you're gonna create a real unique pharmacy niche about simply solving the problems for those patients. I said, I can promise you, you will do outstanding in the marketplace. Because the moms out there who have got kids with autism, they're looking for solutions. Yep. And for the person in the marketplace that can provide that, you have an incredibly bright future. So uh, that that's where I see things going. It's going to be very, very boutique, very niche. And it's also going to be very commodity running side by side. You just need to decide which lane you want to get mm-hmm.
0: in. Well, that that is such great advice. And thank you so much for just giving, uh, you know, our listeners, some of the great opportunities that there are not only within pharmacy, uh, but also taking that experience and uh, putting it to work in public service and uh, giving back to your community and and making a difference in that way. Um, Senator Reeves, it was just such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast.
1: Thanks, Hillary. I I feel like I've rambled on and and talked a lot and you, you haven't said much at all. I, I could do this with you for three hours because I deeply, deeply do care about the state of Tennessee and I care about the Those are two areas that, that I could talk with you about till dinner tonight. So I appreciate you having me on the show and the good work that you're doing for pharmacies. well and, and uh, look forward to watching your continued success.
0: Thank you so much. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it.